0: What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in once again to episode 11 of the Carbide Podcast with Dan Ebert. Dan's got a really unique story in the world of snowmobiling, both from his family history in racing, but also carving out his own name and identity in the history of the sport. Whether it was snowcross, cross country, or even these days as a dirt track racer, Dan's natural talent for racing has captivated fans for years, and it was awesome to experience it from inside the helmet rather than from the stands. I hope you enjoy our discussion.
1: Winter X Games medal in And here goes Ebert for the lead. Holy cow, Dan Ebert out of nowhere.
0: White flag going to wave right now. going to be a race to the finish, and it will be the 60 of Dan Ebert. And welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. On the line tonight, longtime Cat factory racer, former crew chief for Team Arctic, mechanic for Tucker Hibbert. These days you'll catch him playing around in the dirt as a series regular and winner in the US MTS series, as well as the Wasota series. This is Dan Ebert. How are we doing, Dan?
1: I'm doing great, Spencer. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. I appreciate you offering to come on tonight. I think it's going to be fun kind of hearing your story and talking about your career.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. First podcast, and uh, I listened into uh, the Joey Holstrom one from your previous one. so I'm uh, I'm excited. I uh, I listened to Dale Junior download quite a bit, so I uh, I really enjoy them. This the podcast thing is getting really popular now. It's really cool to hear all the background.
0: Love it. Love it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the support. And yeah, it's, I'm an average listener of the Daily Junior Download as well. So kind of like to to keep a similar vibe in here of just keeping the history alive and things like that. So uh, we'll jump right into it for you, Dan. Obviously your your family's pretty synonymous with, with racing and success, particularly with Articat, but what's the earliest memory of snowmobiles and snowmobiling for you? Oh
1: man, I was a little kid, little boy. I remember a black arty cat, kitty cat that um, showed up in the yard. And um, the driveway at my parents' house is a turnaround type driveway. And I was going around and around and around. I just kept doing circles around and uh, they don't, they don't turn very well. So the berm (laughs) just kept getting pushed uh, wider and wider and wider. And Next thing you know, I was using the right rear tire of my dad's pickup as a berm, and then that turned into the box side, and next thing you know, the the hood was cracked, and the fender or the quarter panel had a dent in it, but I just kept going.
0: (laughs) So you you were just railing turns from a young age then, weren't you, Dan?
1: Uh, I guess so. Um, (laughs) That's kind of how it started, as I remember correctly, and then uh, my cousin had a Yamaha snow scoot had two of them. So we were, um, started to terrorize the neighborhood after that, as I got older and, uh, needed to graduate from the kitty cat. So we were ripping around on those. I feel like we were working on them plenty. I feel like as I remember we were working on them as much as we were riding them, they were breaking plenty. And I'm sure it wasn't at all because of abuse on, on our end. <laughs> Um, it was, um, pretty crazy. I just remember, you know, as I got more daring and, and rode it more, I, I hit a jump. I, I hit it, hit a tree one time. That was a, that was a big, uh, big setback. Cause I remember we had to get the bumper fixed and get the skis lined back up again. And then, uh, I remember I was hitting a big jump, big snowbank and crashed my face off the handlebars and. I remember thinking to myself, like, I I just don't think that this is going to be for me. I think I need to get something a little bigger. (laughs) So we graduated after that to a, uh, my first snowmobile, full-size snowmobile was a 1995 uh, ZR that had uh, all the purple accents on it. We had, uh, it started out with just a few uh, and then, um, you know, with the Black Magic catalog uh, I was, I had it all, uh, all decked out before too long from everything. I just think back now it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think about all the cool things you could, you did, did do them back then from the ski loops to the pull handles to the bumper trim, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And I bet, too, like I remember when I was a kid and I uh, my dad bought me a a fire cat when I was a kid and I thought I was hot shit riding around town. I bet with all your all your purple accents and stuff, you thought you were the coolest kid in town rolling around it. uh,
1: We lived outside of town uh, on uh, on Gull Lake. So as soon as I got done with school, uh, I could not wait to get home, get my snow pants on, my helmet on and go down on the lake in front of my parents' place. And, um, similar story, it turned into a circle track. So we were, uh, by we, I me, mean me, I was just by myself. I'd go around and around and around. I remember it was, uh, would polish that there was no studs as I remember. Right. And mm-hmm. it, we just polished that, um, that ice rink basically off into a, into a big bermed, uh, corner. And next thing you know, I'm, slide my way out to the berm and then it would freeze. The next day we'd get some more snow and I'd keep blowing the snow out to the berm. And I, as I remember, right, the berm got pretty tall towards, towards the end of the winter. It was, you know, a five foot, six foot berm. And then I kept going around the outside, uh, kind of snow crossing, but man, I was young. I, I'm trying to even think back. I could barely, I could barely start it. I don't even think I could by myself. Um, I mean if I had to guess I was maybe nine eight somewhere in there
0: when did you when did you officially start racing because we know you obviously for snowcross, and you had success in cross country, but from this story Dan, you could have just as easily become an oval racer, but it sounds like <laughs> it.
1: yeah, for sure. Um, my first race so I guess before we get to that, we could probably fill in some blanks. Um, you know, at the time my dad was, uh, working Artie cat and, uh, you know, working with Tucker and we were taking Tucker racing because, uh, his dad, Kirk was busy with his own snowmobile ventures, basically in the, in the prime of his career. And Tucker was coming up and, and basically needed, needed a place to race and, and someone to teach him how to do it. And my dad was the perfect, perfect person form. So I remember a lot, you know, most just every weekend we would go, uh, racing with Tucker, you know, regional racing and district racing. And, um, growing up around that, I would still come home at night and ride my snowmobile till it was time for supper. And then I would have food and then go hang out in the shop with dad. And I always, I was so intrigued with it. I just couldn't get enough of the snowmobile thing. I was, I, was just fascinated by it from drawing pictures to talking about it to racing. It was, it was all I wanted to do with race. And, uh, my mom didn't want really anything to do with it. She was so nervous about me getting hurt and, uh, I was just scared to death basically. And, um, you know, we, by, we, and my dad was pretty neutral, you know, naturally he had to, had to walk a pretty, uh, uh, tight, tight rope there, uh, balancing me. Nipping at them and then um, uh, talking with mom. So I remember, uh, like it was yesterday, when my first uh, like new snowmobile, my race sled, basically came in the yard. It was um, it would have been a, a two thousand one uh, Z four hundred and forty. So the fan cooled snow pro, but it was the snow pro. Mm-hmm. So it was on the race chassis, which mm-hmm. I was getting old old enough now that I was involved and understood what everything meant and I wanted a race sled you know I that's what I wanted was the race sled so it was it was awesome and as I think back now it was cool for Cat to think and to have the foresight to to build a a race chassis and then put that dump that fan motor in it like it was Mm -hmm. it was genius it was awesome it was a such a perfect stepping stone for uh, kids back then because you know there was no 120s and there was no 200s so it was Mm -hmm. you know you went from the kitty cat and I mean at the snow the snow scoots were getting pretty used up at the time and uh, so you had to jump right to the big sled
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and you didn't have to do a a throttle block or anything like that like you do these days with transition sleds and things like that right
1: so we I remember it came home in a crate on a two-place snowmobile trailer and we uncrated it and I took it for a ride and I was so happy I was I was just so excited that I could finally have a race sled and you know, do some racing. So it would have been, um, Duluth, uh, 2000 would have been, you know, the, the fall of 2000, winter of the 2001 season. And, um, that was my first race. And I remember I was nervous as all get out. Um, I don't remember how I did in the heat race or the qualifying race. Um, but I remember the the final, we were, I got a good start. Um, I, as crazy as I remember that now, like Steve Houle at Speedworks was, was helping dad a lot with Tucker stuff. And, uh, I think it was, I kind of had to earn my stripes so to speak and, and, and make sure I was good enough to even give him some attention. But then once we found out that I made the final, it, the clutches came off. And I remember that, I remember the, the setup, it was, everything was stock except for we had a, we put a 59 53 degree cam and the secondary clutch like that was that was the hot ticket that was that was the answer and I believe I whole shotted the final It was a junior 10 to 13 class at uh, it was either WSA or WPSA whatever it was then and um, mm-hmm. led it uh, all the way to the very end and uh, I got passed for second but I remember it was so, so scared. They had that big downhill jump at the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. And yep. I knew that like I had to do that jump because if you didn't, you were just going to get passed right away. And, um, we ended up second and it was, uh, I was hooked ever
0: since. <laughs> so did you get to go home and tell your mom like, Hey, I know you don't like this, but I'm actually pretty good.
1: Yeah. Uh, she was there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she was there. Um, you know, she warmed up to it a little bit. Um, as, uh, as things went on you know you kind of you kind of i think that she just kind of more or less gave in because she was sick of me nagging
0: oh <laughs> well, yeah I, I could imagine i could imagine my, my mom just was the same way when i was racing she she didn't really like it at all she thought it was super dangerous when you get into a race and she's screaming just as loud as anybody else <laughs> yeah yeah so kind of going into your amateur career there because you i mean you kind of hit the ground running right out of the junior classes and, and just jumped onto the national stage. What was the next couple years of your amateur career, like going through the juniors and through sport and things like that?
1: So as I remember, um, you know, ran that, that season, uh, finally got a win late in the year, I think. And then, um, I believe I ran that sled the next year as well. Um, another year of junior 10 to 13, and then, um, I got my first, uh, liquid cooled sled. So, um, yeah, it would have been 2003. It was a 440 race sled. Um, and I ran, um, I, w- I believe it would have been the junior 14, 15 class. I don't think, man, you're really jogging my memory now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you could run sport then at the national. Mm-hmm. I think you were uh, kind of just locked into your junior junior classes, so um, ran that. Don't remember particularly how I did, and then I remember as the season got going, and you could run regional races and district races. We um, we entered in every class, so to get as much seat time as I could, you could run. We used to kind of call it the fearsome five. It was the junior fourteen, fifteen, junior sixteen, seventeen, sport. 500, sport 600, and the sport open. And we ran the same sled in every class. And it was great at the time, thinking back about how much track time you had. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were racing every five races, it seemed like. So it really shortened the learning curve on starts and jumping and cornering and etiquette and and passing. I, I, uh, it, it really was a great um, uh, feeder feeder series and feeder ground for the nationals and, and up, up and coming racers, because those regionals, you could just race and race and race and race. It was, um, a pretty incredible time. I remember, you know, we would pull into Hill city or a lot of these regional races and they, we would be parked out to the road. I mean, it, the, the amount of people that would come and race and, um, to try to make the show, try to make the, the final was, it was just incredible to think back. I, remember i talked to uh, a couple racers old uh, old racers this winter we were watching um my brother-in-law's tom's little little guy race a 120 this year and we were all chit-chatting about how racing was and the old lineup board it was a piece of like four by eight uh, plywood that they would staple the the lineup sheets to mm-hmm. and i wish that we would have taken Somebody would have taken those papers off so we could look back on it now cuz I remember one time, you know, I'm fast forwarding now a couple of years into sport that there were so many sport racers and it was three rounds qualifying that you needed to win every round in order to make the sh- make the final. Like it was mm-hmm. you know, Dan Ebert 111 and and Brett Abrahamson 111 and and gosh, I just I don't even remember all the names, but you'd go down the list and if you went 112 you'd be in an LCQ. And if you basically crashed in a round, you wouldn't even make the LCQ. Like, it's just like mm-hmm. crazy to even think about now. So, um, it was an incredible time. Uh, learned a ton about racing and, you know, um, it was never, uh, I was never, I shouldn't say I'd never really had the, the goal to be a pro. Cause like I was just having so much fun being able to race that I just wanted to race as much as I could. I wasn't even thinking about Mm -hmm. what the future could potentially, could potentially hold or bring. And, you know, ever since I base, you know, ever since that we uncreated that first snowmobile, my first race snowmobile, I had to work on it, you know, and I had been instilled in me since I was a kid working with my dad in the shop that, you know, if you wanted anything or wanted to make something better or do something, you had to do it yourself. There wasn't going to be, uh, anybody there to help you, you know, to, to do it for you, you needed to be able to do it. So by this time I was getting fairly mechanically inclined on, uh, my own stuff. Um, and, uh, it, I believe helped me in the long run as I, as I got older and, and, and began to race different classes.
0: Well, I did wonder about that quite a bit, Dan, cause you kind of have this unique perspective. In your shoes as as a teenager you know once you're getting fast and seeing the success where you can kind of see the sport from two different sides you can see it as the racer you know the successful racer who has the speed and could quote unquote make a career nobody really makes a career racing snowmobiles but you know what i mean make a career as a snowmobiler or you see it from your dad's side where he has just as much success more on the engineering and mechanic side so you're kind of seeing it from both sides where I could, I could pursue either path and kind of see success. So I was always curious about that kind of from your standpoint.
1: It was a lot of fun, you know, as I think back, that was, uh, some of the golden era of snowmobiling in, in my opinion, I wasn't old enough to really appreciate the, you know, the seventies and the craze of the oval racing and the, how big it was. But when I think about the golden, uh era of bills. it was the 2000s to you know probably 2012 ish Um, and the reason why I say that is it about that time is kind of when the rules and uh, the restrictions and the cost of things were starting to get a little more under control where it was it was the wild west as far as whatever you wanted to dream up build fabricate engineer test during a previous to that was you could do. And and there was so much manufacturer support and, um, and competitiveness amongst the manufacturers. It was like war. I mean, I remember it was, I mean, everything to, to, to win Duluth and how many, how many people could win, what, who could dominate Duluth and set the, set the stage for this, for the season. And, um, the, the incredible snowmobiles that were built and the design and and uh you think back about you know the generations of the ZR and then the Firecat and then the you know the um rider forward and the you know the 04 era and the rev which pushed that and then um you know the 08 platform it was all incredible times
0: throughout this period dan at what point did you kind of because i've always wondered this too when did you really start exploring the, the four wheel side? Cause it sounds like you're pretty deep into snowcross right about now. And that's kind of all you're thinking about throughout at least the winter season, but four wheels becomes a big part of your life too. When did, when did that interest kind of start for you?
1: I, um, I'd always been laser focused on snowmobiles. That's what I wanted to do during the summer. It was BMX. I raced um, BMX when I was a kid. Um, to, you know, help, uh, keep me going and keep me motivated for snowmobiles, but BMX. And when I dabbled with motocross, that was always just a means to an end. Mm -hmm. That was always just to be as prepared and, uh, make myself try to be, make myself as successful as I could for snowmobiles. And, um, I was in high school and, um, a buddy of mine who, uh, kind of a cool story his dad had my dad as his teacher okay uh in uh in school and my dad had a taught a taught a college class at uh the local uh college here in brainerd uh, a night school class uh, introduction to auto racing oh that's cool so he um, and he was my my best buddy his dad was one of the students so um, we always would go out to the races, you know, once or twice a summer at the local dirt track here in town, North Central Speedway and, uh, check it out. And I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Cause my dad has such a rich history with, uh, car racing, uh, racing himself and winning multiple track championships. And then, uh, working during the, during the summers for the legendary, uh, Dick Trickle short track racer in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So he was, um, also, heavily, heavily, uh, rooted with with car racing, so it was a nice, uh, nice escape for us to go out and check out the dirt tracks and check that all out. So we made some friends, and then how it kind of started is my buddy Derek Oli. He um he had a couple classes with me in uh, high school, and he said, "Hey, you should uh, you should come hang out with me at the races, and my dad's got another car. Why don't you drive this other car?" I was like, really, like, like, really, like me, like I get to drive a race car. It's like, yeah, it's just a, it's a pure stock car. Why don't you come out and work on it and you can race it towards the end of the year. It's like, wow, sweet. This is awesome. So then we became really good friends and, uh, worked on that backup car. I'll call it. It was his dad's car, which talking about it now wasn't, wasn't much of a race car. (laughs) It was, uh, it was, it was okay. I mean, I, it, it didn't handle nearly as well as as Derek's car, but it was I was tickled to death. I mean, as I remember the first time crawling down in it, I thought this was the coolest thing in the whole world. And um, so we went out, and uh, as I think back on it, I didn't make the feature. I think I finished like fourth in a in a in a B main, and they took the top three to the feature or something. So, but I knew enough after doing it, that this was something that I really wanted to do. And this was a type of fun that I'd never experienced before. So fast forward uh, another month or so to the end of the season. And, uh, uh, Derek let me drive his car and he said, well, you can drive my car. And I was like, really? You know, and so we did, I drove his car and I finished uh, second and the feature made the feature and finished second. And I was like, this is, this is, this is, this is it, man. Like this is between snowmobiles and cars. Like I have it, I got it made. I can, and in my head, I have this all figured out. Like I can race snowmobiles mm-hmm. in the winter time and I can race cars in the summer. Like this is, this is great. So, um, oh gosh, it was, uh, it was a pretty, pretty fun and extraordinary time for a young, for a young kid that, uh, basically thought he had it all you know
0: <laughs> yeah it, it sounds like in a lot of ways you're 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 living the dream at that point in time just you know not not a care in the world just like oh yeah man i'll i'll race all year round as long as the as long as i got the opportunity i'll i'll keep racing
1: sure so um as i think about it now we you know, I, I continued to race uh snowmobiles and uh got better you know um I don't consider myself, uh, a, a dominant snowmobile racer by any means or, uh, a, a, a natural born talent, uh, like, you know, like a Tucker Hibbert Blair Morgan by any means, but, you know, I won my share and, and continued to get better and, you know, um, learning about equipment and learning about suspensions and learning about what it takes to finish races and to be fast and make things fast, and um, as you get better and as you climb the class and the ladder, you need to be more focused and a better overall racer. So as, uh, as you think about it and as you know, I was, I was processing it when I turned semi pro and pro, um, you know, I was, I was, uh, using dirt bikes as a training tool, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking about my race car. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's what I wanted to do is race cars. And, it was a chore to race or to ride dirt bike. Mm -hmm. You know, I would race Friday nights locally and, and practice during the week and working out and train like crazy, um, during the summer. But it's, uh, always in the back of my mind, I'm just like, this is great. And I have to do this to be successful snowmobile racing. And I have a lot of fun snowmobile racing, but that dirt car over there, man, that is just calling my name like that. That's what I want to do. So. you know, we had a, a very successful, uh, snowmobile career as I think back on it, you know, um, with a bronze medal at the winter X games in 2009 and, uh, winning the I 500, uh, in 2010, um, you know, multiple ISOC podiums. It was, it was a great, great, uh, snowmobile career. I, snowmobile racing gave me so much as far as when I would actually strap the helmet on. It was, it's time that I would never, um, and wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Um but you know in 2012 when uh when I got injured um badly at uh Canterbury I dislocated my my elbow. That set me back uh the rest of the season and I couldn't couldn't race anymore and I found um found myself coaching uh my teammates Kyle Plein and Cody Thompson and uh found that I really enjoyed it. Like it, it was, um, something that I didn't really realize that I would have so much fun doing as far as on track coaching and, and it's just helpless suspension and setup and starts. I was always a really good starter and, um, I never realized it. I never realized that I, it never even crossed my mind that that was something I would be even interested in doing. So, um, in the end of 2012, We, uh, you know, it it had been in my mind that, you know, I, I don't know to, to really focus and take the next step to be the best of the best for snowmobiling, I would need to basically shut the whole car thought off and focus Mm -hmm. 100% more on training and dirt biking. And that would need to be my focus to be a better snow crosser. Because at the level I was at, I was doing the best I could trying to balance, Bikes, snowmobiles, and race cars. Mm-hmm. So uh in the 2012, I basically had made the decision that you know I I didn't wanna commit to the all the hours and the preparation it took to train to be the top athlete in Snowcross. And at mm-hmm. the time, uh my teammates really appreciated uh me helping them and coaching them, and they had run a lot better. So, uh, between my dad, and Mike Coletti, we, we had kind of come to the decision that I would, uh, kind of step back from racing full time and take over more of the managerial and crew chief roles for the team, uh, in 2013.
0: Yeah. And that was a really important time for Articat because the 2012 season was the first year of the Pro Cross, and that year was. I mean, people had their successes, but that was a learning year for sure on that chassis. 2013 would be a better year, but there's still a lot of learning and a lot of testing going on with that chassis. Plus, Kyle Poline's fresh to the pro class. Cody Thompson's fairly new to snowcross at that point in time, but he's still st- stupid fast, you know? So there was right. a lot. Of, there's a lot of value there for having a guy like you in that position, both from rider coach standpoint, but also engineering and testing.
1: It was a big deal for us because I was still able to throw a leg over the sled, go test, um, be able to talk the talk and really understand and feel what they were saying. And, and it it was a perfect situation. I could talk to him on the radio. I could help with line choice. I could help him scout the track. Like Mm -hmm. it was a, it was a pretty awesome thing as I think back on it, um, what we had going on and not many people had been really doing that in the series as far as like rider coaches or um having someone that uh, could really um bring value that that they used to have i mean basically right off the track
0: mm-hmm. so how many years did you did you stick with that role as as rider coach and crew chief for, for Art cap so we
1: um did that in 2013 as I think about it now, so 2013 we built, um, two, I believe it was two custom mod chassis. Cause at the time the rules were still fairly open. Mm-hmm. Um, you could kind of do some different tweaks on things and we built some different over the top structure. And I, um, I, uh, trying to think now. So Cody got hurt in 2013. Um, so he was injured and then we took on, um, a couple intern riders there to help finish out the year. Derek Ellis mm-hmm. um ran at X Games with us and then I'm um, trying to think. Might have been another racer or two. And we uh kinda took on some young kids, some junior and sport kids, and helped them out um throughout the season. Kinda used a program where they would come and hang out with us. So we would show them how we would approach a race weekend, mm-hmm. how we would prep a snowmobile what we look for, how to make things faster, how, how to look, what to look at on the racetrack. And, um, you know, we took in three or four riders throughout this time and, uh, kind of taught them, you know, how a professional pro factory team would do it. And it was great. We got a lot of, uh, positive feedback from that. And, um, it was a way to, to, uh, finish out the year and, and, in a positive way with, with Cody's injury. So the leading us to the next year, uh, 2015, we, um, we built, uh, two new, um, race sleds. They were a little more, gosh, I had to think back now they were fairly custom, but we, we stayed a little closer to kind of, um, things we did developed in 2013 with, um, trying to take some weight out of them Mm -hmm. and, uh, and make them better. And, um, we had a decent season. Um, we won the, the ISOC, uh, team of the year award, which was, which was big for us, never been done by our team before. So that was, that was huge, a big accomplishment. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm learning a lot as, as, you know, basically kind of, uh, managing people and, and understanding how to do tests and, and, um, the schedule and truck driving and, and, and figuring out how, how to make, how to make a race team really work. Mm -hmm. You know, I was always on the the helmet side of it. So I didn't, I didn't really care how we got there or, or what that all entailed as far as being a, being a manager. So learned a lot. I really grew up a lot as a, as a young man. And, um, we had a lot of fun. It was, uh, Cody was, was wicked fast at times, man. He was just um had some god-given talent that was like none other Mm -hmm.
0: yeah absolutely yeah he was he was on rails from time to time he just kind of came into the sport out of nowhere and and beat up on a bunch of guys and then quietly disappeared a couple years later he's 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 just one of those guys like just just raw talent right yeah yeah so next couple years i mean at one point you end up you end up working for tucker and obviously you've known tucker for your entire life at this point, but you end up taking over Garth Kaufman steps away as his, uh, mechanic and you kind of step into that role and tell me how, how that kind of came about and, and some things about that.
1: So we, um, you know, if you looked at probably the next year and I could be off a little on my years here, um, naturally was, was getting fulfillment, um, crew chief in the factory team, but, Always looking for something more, you know, and always wanting to be with the best. And you know, you look at Tucker and his program, and everybody wants to be like Tucker. Everybody wants to be part of that. And and um, at the end of when I think it was maybe two thousand fifteen, um, Tucker uh, approached me and, and asked if I'd have interest in in being a mechanic for him and and being a contributor for his team and. Um, it was a tough decision because naturally it was a lot of fun with our family based team that, you know, my dad and mom had started from the very, very beginning back when Tucker was just a kid mm-hmm. and was run out of our shop. So it would, uh, involve relocating to Thief River Falls and, and working for him. And, uh, I talked it over a lot with my wife and, you know, we decided that, you know, let's, let's do this. Let's take a shot at it and, and have some fun and learn about how Tucker does it and, um. You know, it's, uh, when you say the name Tucker Hibbard, it's it almost just echoes with the amount of, of uh, passion and, uh, and uh, intensity. I mean, he's, um, I'll say this, that I've never worked so hard in my life as far as for someone that was so passionate and was so smart. He, he knew more about snowmobiles than a lot of the engineers and racers and best mechanics in the pits. I mean, he, he was the best well-rounded racer, manager, team leader, uh, that I had ever been even associated with. It was, um, it was amazing to be involved with someone with that much passion. He, um, He was so detail oriented that he had a backup plan for the backup plan Mm -hmm. and the sled prep and the thought and the testing. You know, like we would go testing and he was way ahead of his time. You know, he was he was so far ahead of his time and as far as his thought process. And it, it showed why he was such a winner. You know, we would we would test at night and he would plan his schedule accordingly, so he was practicing at night, you know, during the times when you know, you would run heat races and finals on the ISOC tour. So, you know, which was at the time other than him and Logan, there was very few people that were doing that. So mm-hmm. that was very forward thinking. And, um, it was, uh, incredible time. I remember a story, you know, when, when the Tucker rule came out, uh, I think it was either the, I could have been off maybe the second year or the first year, but for those listeners that don't uh, know what the Tucker rule was, basically it was uh, a penalty for, for, uh, being the top qualifier. So if you were fastest in your heat races, uh, you had the last gate pick. So, um, starts became super critical, which they were critical before, but even more so now, uh, it was such an emphasis on starts and Tucker traditionally hasn't been the best starter. So we, um, we looked at all of our options, uh, to try to get better starts with the handicap of the Tucker rule. And that's what led to the, to the long track, you know, the 137 Mm -hmm. uh, uh, long track race sled that we built. And, um, gosh, I remember when we tested, it it was just like a half a sled length. And at times it was a sled length, like right, right now against our best, um, our best sled, you know, Mm -hmm. we're doing back to back starts. And, um, the other thing, you know, we, as we brainstormed it and we were building it and, and getting involved with it and working with engineering and it's kind of a hush hush project. It was a lot of fun because at the time the rules were such that you weren't redesigning a whole new front end and you weren't redesigning a whole chassis because the rules had it so tight that you couldn't, couldn't really do any of that anymore. Mm-hmm. So to uh, think out of the box, like they did and come up with that was it was really exciting. We, um, were nervous that we were going to lose some of our, uh, handling, handling benefits. You know, would we be able to get in and out of the holes and would we be able to turn as good? And would we be able to not sacrifice on track speed to get a start? Cause that, you know, that was one of our biggest concerns right away is like, how is this thing going to go through the holes? Like, yes, can we get a better start? But if I can't have the raw speed, what good is it? And, uh, It wasn't long after we started testing, we learned it was the opposite. I mean, that thing would bridge the gap between the holes better yet and had way more directional authority and um, figured out better ways for it to turn. And man, when we rolled that thing out, it was just like, see you later.
0: Did, uh, did you have to do any around this time? Did you have to do any of the the pre-production testing on the, on the fuel injection? Or did you guys get to escape that?
1: So the year, I'm trying to think what year here, and I could be off. So um, I think it was 2017. We had built, um, some, one, I think it was two sleds that had the EFI mm-hmm. injected, new Tech engine in it. And um, we tested a lot, a lot. Um, majority of our season that season was testing that EFI, um, pipes over the top, uh, platform. And we would get it at times we thought as good as our current race sled.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And, uh, we worked day and night on it and Kirk's wisdom, you know, he was so bright. We were, we would just swear that And we really got it like, this is it. Like we, we definitely made the starts better. We definitely got rid of the bog and the holes, like this thing. We're close. And he said, well, let's roll out your race sled here. So, you know, we always had Tucker's race sled prepped, you know, our best of the best package and we would do side-by-side starts and, you know, it was the race sled would beat it by a sled length. So it's like, oh man, You, you know, you never, never thought uh would be that bad like you mm-hmm. you we were off that far but fortunately we had a good baseline there that we could check ourselves with and we never ended up racing it uh that whole season just because we could never quite get it as good as our current race platform and uh looking back on that season it was a season that um tucker wasn't uh, i don't think whatever rank is one of his best seasons ever he He won a bunch of races and we were successful, but not to, not to his level. And if you look back on that year, uh, I attribute a lot of it to the time that we spent testing and developing that EFI, uh, C-Tech engine took away from refining and bettering our current package Mm -hmm. that day in and day out, we could go win races with and with more tuning and more testing we would continue to continue to find speed and refine that where every ounce of time we had was spent developing that package and not, uh, developing our, uh, current race package. So, um, that's kind of, kind of in a nutshell, how, how that all worked out. And, um, it was an incredible time to think think back on uh, the amount of hours and development we put into it.
0: Yeah, it was it was really noticeable that year that all the factory teams were kind of struggling, just getting everything figured out. And you knew it was going to be a learning year with that. But I mean, seemingly it all paid off because I know you weren't you weren't around at that point. But twenty eighteen, when Cat comes out with that new sled, they win everything under the sun that year and nobody can touch him that platform was unstoppable so pretty much all the work that you guys have put in the next year came to fruition on the race led the, the following year
1: it was exciting to see uh the fruits of of our labor and and uh there was a lot of work that went into it and it was great that that 2018 new chassis um you know obviously more to it than just the engine but the whole suspension and spindles and the development of the front end everything was better 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 lighter 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 and um it uh it definitely it definitely
0: proved out so a big reason for you dan why you kind of ended up in this entire crew chief mechanic role over the previous probably five years or so was, you know, like you said, you had gotten hurt in, in snow in the 2012 season, but also around this time, you're pretty much doing a full time season in the dirt car as well. So when did you kind of, I want to say, make a full pivot to being a dirt car guy rather than a snow cross racer?
1: So yeah, around, um, you know, 2012, 2013 area there, we, um, 2013-14, uh, my wife and I, girlfriend at the time, we relocated to Kentucky and worked for a dirt late model guy, um, Jackie Boggs, and raced our car as well. So during the summers, uh, we, we we lived and raced out of town. And then um, in 14-15, uh, raced uh, locally, but chased some USMTS races. Um, and then uh, fast forward to kind of 2018, um, I was always racing in the summer and doing snow cross, uh, with racing or managerial team roles, uh, during the winter. So it was never a full-time gig. I was always just, uh, kind of a part-time deal. So mm-hmm. the money I'd make during the winter, I was spending plenty of it during the <laughs> summer basically. <laughs> and as I'd gotten older and, and more mature, I kind of, needed something more full-time. So in 2018, um, I took a full-time job with Fox. Mm -hmm. So I was, um, at Fox shocks, um, you know, 18, 19 and then, uh, part of 20, um, working in their Baxter office on UTVs, ATVs, snow motorcycles. It was, it was an awesome job. I learned a ton, uh, about snowmobiles or about suspensions. I'd always, uh been very close with Fox and been a Fox sponsored athlete. Mm-hmm. But uh and done a lot of my own tuning up until that point, but bumping elbows with with Rick and Mike Jap and, and the guys at Fox um shortened my learning curve even more and and uh expanded expanded my knowledge and um and passion for suspension and shocks. It's kind of something uh I grow I grew into liking more and more. And um in 2020 uh, Fox had an opening in in North Carolina Mooresville mm-hmm. for their circle track for circle track uh, managerial uh, circle track manager. So um, took that job and uh, Ashley and I relocated to North Carolina for uh, just about a year and um, you know my, my dirt car racing at the time was going to take a little bit of a back step, maybe a little bit of a back burner to more of a more full-time career And, and uh, in Fox. You know, when I was working at Fox full-time up until this point, I was still racing a lot. Um, it was, was kind of what I did uh, any chance I could. Um, but when you relocate to North Carolina and manage a group of, uh, of oh gosh, it was seven or eight people at the time, Uh, I need to stay pretty focused. So Mm -hmm. that came about, had a lot of fun, uh, learned a ton and enjoyed it. And, um, my sponsor, my biggest sponsor at the time, car racing, uh, his business was growing in the towing industry. He's turned into, uh, one of the biggest towing outfits now in Minnesota. Uh, avid race fan, um, car owner, track owner, um, contacted me about, uh, wanting to race, uh, more full time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. we kicked it around a lot. And, um, with, uh, USMTS season, uh, approaching and a record record payoff year for them and prize money up for grabs, we decided to, to move back and focus again, hundred uh, percent on racing cars. So, um, still do, uh, some, uh, uh, work with Fox, do some consulting work and I'm a dealer for them for their Mm -hmm. circle track stuff. And, uh, and then just continue to support, uh, focus on, um, racing cars full time in, uh, midway through 2021.
0: So right about now, Dan, what's the, what's the average week look like for, for Dan Ebert? How many, how many hours are we in the shop? How many hours we on the road? What does it look like?
1: Yeah. So we, our predominant focus is the USMTS, uh, season, which, um, is in that 30 to 40 race schedule, Mm -hmm. basically from Minnesota all the way down to Texas, kind of the central part of the United States. Um, and then we filter in any Wasoda uh, local USRA races, uh, on on our off weekends. So, um, it's wide open, man, between, uh, uh, myself, uh, my wife and, um, I got a, uh, uh, helper that, um, comes with us to all the races. My mom and dad, uh, come to a few of them, but, uh, our shop now is in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Uh, my owner built a beautiful facility for us that, uh, all the race cars, all the machines, all the fabricating equipment is all in one house now. And we're, um, we've got, uh, uh, three race cars and we, we, um, it would remind you of like the ISOC, uh, snowmobile tour, as far as the level of professionalism mm-hmm. and the amount of talent and, uh, the focus and dedication it takes to run that, to run that series. Mm-hmm. So we've been doing that the last couple of years and, um, been having a lot of fun, um, learning a lot. Um, currently we're sitting uh, seventh in the points, which is what we finished last year. We were up as high as a point leader here in the springtime and, um, it's, it's been a learning experience and we're continuing to get better all the time. And it's been a, uh, really fun adventure.
0: How many more years you got, uh, left racing you think, Dan, cause on the, on the four wheel side, age really is just a number. It's not like snow.
1: Yeah. Uh, my favorite saying when I retired from snowcross and and told kind of everybody what, what was happening. I said, well, with age comes a cage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, You know, you look at like uh, Dale McDowell. He won a big race here a couple weeks ago. I think he's in his late 50s. So um, if I can stay focused and and keep going with as much passion and enthusiasm and and, uh, if the Lord can keep me safe, I think we could be doing this a long time yet.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'll give you one last comment here if you want, Dan. Um, If you want to give a shout out to any of the people that are helping you this season where anybody can find you on socials and things like that if they want to follow along to you during the summer. Yeah,
1: for sure. Uh, Facebook, um, Dan Ebert 60, Instagram and uh, Twitter. I'm not on Twitter a whole lot, but my Facebook or my website's dan-ebert.com. Uh, That's kind of where you find all of our uh, updates on our schedule and um, kind of what all we are up to. We try to stay uh, connected with our fans and let everybody know what's going on and um, look forward to seeing you at the races.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks Dan for the time. I, I really appreciate it. When I first kind of started this pod, you were one of the first guys on my list. Cause I was like, I bet, I bet Dan's got some cool stories. So I knew I wanted to track you down and, and I certainly appreciate the time.
1: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. We can, we could probably get into the nuts and bolts more of, you know, the, what we actually did to those, you know, Tucker's 2000 X game sled and you know we could get into the the putt sled the pipes under mm-hmm. the seat and like the 06 range and we could fun to walk through some of the decades and the nuts and bolts of what actually went into building some of that stuff because it was i was right uh right in the middle of it and it was a
0: really fun time that sounds awesome so let's plan on it dan dan ebert on the carbide podcast <laughs> I'm already itching for part two on this one, guys. We only scratched the surface here talking about race sled development with Dan, but between him and his dad Russ, those guys have worked on some of the trickiest race sleds we've ever seen come out of Thief River. Thanks again to Dan for offering up his time. This is a crazy busy time of year for him, so I'm glad we were able to squeeze it in. Huge thanks to anyone still listening. I really enjoyed doing these interviews, so it's always fun to see the responses and feedback on what people liked and who we should chat with next. Be sure to subscribe. Check out our Instagram page for cool racing content, and as always, take care.